Hello, everybody. Hi, everyone. This is Kay. This is Craig. Welcome back to another week of Raiders of the Lost Arts. Yeah, one of the last times probably we're recording in the studio, aka my sister's room. In person. In person. Together. Well, I'll always be recording in the studio. Yes. Um, but there, our there, de- shall, there shall be a new studio. Dear Craig is moving south for the w- summer. <laughs> I'm like, wait, it's not winter. Um, south for the summer. So... We won't be in person recording. We We're not won't. ending the podcast. I've told a few people, I'm like, oh yeah, Craig's moving. They're like, oh my gosh, so it's over? I'm like, no, yeah, after just, 15 episodes, yeah, we're just no, ending it. it just began. It's just begun. I'll, I'll call it chapter or season two. Yeah. Um, once you move down, it'll yeah. be season 10 two. days, everyone. Oh my god. It doesn't feel real. It's not. This is all a dream. It, honestly... I wouldn't doubt it. Um, the episode we recorded last week, it's long, so I'm saving it for like a special occasion. Yes. And also, it was the first time we're recording with our new Mike here. Mm-hmm. Um, say hello, Mike. He's he's shy. It's fine. Yeah. Um, his name is Blue Yeti, actually. Um, and first name Blue, last name Yeti. Yeah, like my father before me. That was so dumb. Um, so you know, I was still getting used to it. I didn't have a windshield wind guard for it uh so but now we do and it looks phallic as craig and i both <laughs> pointed out phallic as fuck it is a phallic looking mic mm. anyway <laughs> anyways so we are gonna jump into our our usual segment by the time you're hearing this by the time you're hearing this we're gonna talk about we need to come up with a jingle yeah. I, I will at some point by the time you're hearing this something like that Oh, that's, yeah, that's jingly. Yeah, it is. <laughs> or have someone who's not us sing it. Yes. We cannot sing. Speaking of people who can sing. Good segue. Miss Rachel Ziegler. That's what I was going to talk about. Oh, okay. Well, so, I have another thing to talk about, too. Okay. But, yeah. It was announced today that she has been cast as Snow White in the upcoming live action. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be an adaptation, a news story with Snow White, or what. But all I know is that Miss Rachel Ziegler is going to be playing her, and so it's it's going to be a serve, even if it's, you know, the garbage that Disney has been serving us with the live-action adaptations. Um, I won't care, because it'll have Rachel Ziegler in it. And it's directed by Mark Webb. I don't think I know anything about him. No, uh, I don't. I don't know if he's new and upcoming. I just tried to go on Letterboxd, and I could not find a director under that name. Mm. So this might be a debut for him. Well, what about IMDb? That's true. I'm looking up his name on the, the interwebs right now. Because I know... Um, I think it's a pretty good director who's doing uh, the Little Mermaid one. Is he the one who's, who de- who done... Oh, I don't know. Okay. I found him. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Well, uh, like, this is just, like, a quick wiki type thing. When you type his name into Google, Mark Preston Webb is an American music video director and filmmaker. So it's interesting that he's known. Is it the same one? Because I'm looking, and, like, on IMD, there's, like, two, a few different Mark Webbs. He's a white guy with, like, a mustache and, like... Okay, yeah, all the ones who I'm looking at all look like that, too. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> this, this, this is the one that's coming up. Okay, yeah, he looks like a person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're happy... He's a Virgo. Okay, what does that supposed to mean? Oh, it's Mark with a C. Yeah. 
Oh, he directed 500 Days of Summer, idiot. Did he? Was <laughs> I just spelling it wrong? And- it's Mark with a C. I love 500 Days of Summer. And he directed uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. He's up and coming. Is he a newcomer? (laughs) I mean... Um, Yeah. Listen, are we going to sit here and brag about The Amazing Spider-Man? No, but I'm saying he got to work with Andrew Garfield. Yeah, he is. (gasps) What if Andrew Garfield played the prince? No, that's too big of an age difference, but still. Also... I know this is very off-topic, but this is very much in in topic with By the Time You're Hearing Us. Do you keep getting text messages today about, like, election stuff? No. From random numbers? No. I keep getting, like... Does it think you live in the boroughs or something? I don't like know. Like, you're part of New York City and you're doing the ranking thing? I don't know. I'm just getting all this stuff. Like, I would say I've gotten at least five today. You definitely signed a petition at some point and they got your number and now they will not leave you alone. <sighs> That's what happens when I sign petitions. I just get a million emails from change.org. Like, we have to stop the genocide. I'm like, I don't think my signature is going to stop genocide. Yeah. But, okay. I'll try my best. Um, I'm changing the world. 500 Days of Summer, you know, I don't know how you feel about that movie. I don't know how much you love it, how much you don't love it. When I first watched it, because I, I remember I asked for it for Christmas, like on DVD. It's one of the DVDs that I own. Um, I was really excited for it because, like, I was a girl on Tumblr, so people hyped the movie up. Yeah. And it kind of disappointed me, okay. but then I watched it in a film class in college, and then I watched it on my own another time, and I was like, okay, I like this more. It's one of those movies where it becomes deeper the more you watch it, and the more you... Re- the characters are revealed the more you watch it. I think the when you know the ending, yeah. it's... It's, uh better in a way like if you well you kind of do know the ending going in i suppose but you're con- you're rooting for him in the in a way anyway yeah but, but like then you realize you're not supposed to root for him yeah they're kind of a lesson they're both at fault in their own ways yeah, but him more so oh no yes agreed <laughs> him more so, so because she, was just doing her thing she makes it very clear from the beginning yeah what she wants, and he kind of manipu- manipulates and Manic takes advantage Pixie of that. dream girl. Yeah. What else is now? Um, my other, by the time you're hearing this, I don't think we talked about it last week, but um, we're going to talk about our Lord and Savior, L-O-R-D-E. Uh, oh, we mentioned it, but then that was part of the thing that we cut. Yeah. But because we kept trying to re-record. So, yeah. Lord, as we all know, is coming out with a new album in August, mm-hmm. Solar Power. Mm-hmm. Um, she came out with a single recently. Mm-hmm. Um, people are speculating we're going to get a new single this coming week because of... Um, I saw something on Twitter today about... Oh, because the first half of the, the album is, like, so, there's side A and side B, and side A is about the, the sun, and side B is about the moon. So someone made some correlation and thinking we might be getting a new single which is interesting i think we'll get a new single before the album comes out i don't know about it like her other one just came out she's not jack antonoff i mean she works with jack antonoff but jack antonoff unless he's like holding her hostage and he's like put out another single no i mean his new album's coming out soon so maybe like a lot of people are coming out a lot of people will be coming out with albums it's (laughs) because and you know what part of it it's like, I'm happy, and another part of me is just like, oh, they were waiting to put out albums until they which could makes tour. Me, which makes me angry. Yeah, because it's, it's like, like, oh, they just wanted money. Yeah, because like, at the end of the day, like so all these artists are like, hey, it, exactly what you said. They want to go and tour with this, which I get, but we were all in a dark time. Don't you think you wanted to share your, your and you know, with us? I don't support her 100%. I think she's done some stupid things, but Dula Peep, Dua Lipa, Dula Peep. she, at the beginning of the pandemic, she 
was planning to put out her album, people were like, oh, she's probably going to push it back now because of the pandemic. She released it anyway, knowing she full well she wasn't going to be able to tour it. It also got leaked early, and that was a whole big thing. Yeah, but, like, you know. Yeah. But she released it anyway, knowing she wasn't going to be able to tour with it. Just And look, she got a Grammy out of it. Yeah. So... You know, Take I, this is a life lesson artist. I respected a lot of the people who released stuff during the pandemic, knowing that they couldn't tour or capitalize off of their work. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Yes. Who released three two, albums. Like three albums. Maybe more. Like she was like, oh, I'm doing no, stuff. Four. Like I'm not going to sit on it. And a it. documentary. Four. So folklore, folklore, the pot, like the. Yeah, but I mean, like original. Evermore. It's like fearless. two, really. All she right. worked on it like it was stuff, but yeah. it was stuff that she already had, you know? Um, but, yeah, I'm excited. Okay. I, like, I'm... But now everyone's touring, and I'm like, I don't have any money. Uh, I already got tickets to, like, two concerts. So, you know... Yeah, I have tickets to a few concerts as well. A few? Like, more than two? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to, like, budget. Like, who do I care enough about to see? Like, I got tickets to see Bleachers which is Jack Antoff, mm. and I got tickets to see my boy Grayson Chance. Ugh. His were not that expensive, but yes. um, I'm like, The other thing enough? that bothers me, I don't like when artists tour solely at festivals, which is what Miley's doing right now. I'm not mm. I'm not hating on her because it's you do you do. I don't know. I'm kind of sensitive. I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, yeah, no, I'm a little selfish, and I want. I don't want to go to a festival to see you. No, I, want I hate your festivals. Own, I want your own tour. They make me feel dirty. Yeah, I've, I've never been to one, so... I'm, I've never been to one either, because my sister went to one, and it wasn't even, like, a big one. Like, she went to Firefly, which is one of the smaller festivals. Yeah. And it sounded exhausting, and she was only there for, like, three days. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a fun experience. No, the, pe- people are like, right oh, word. yeah, like, someone stole my phone, like, we almost got tricked into, like, doing cocaine or yeah. whatever, and, like... You're sleeping in, like, a tent I sometimes. was bleeding, like, yeah. freely bleeding, but I didn't care because I was front row for Jay-Z. I'm like, that does not seem fun. That sounds like something... You're probably you, dehydrated. That sounds like a police report. You're tired. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah. No. Um, but anyway... Anyways, we are going to head into our, our main topic for today. Would you like to tell our listeners, our besties at home, what we're going to be talking about on today's podcast? Hi, gay. Hi, gay. It's Pride Month. Happy Pride. <laughs> this- Here at Raiders of the Lost Arts, we thought we'd talk about queer film. What is queer film? Well, if <laughs> you ask me, I think it is good. Um, anyway. <laughs> Shout out to Megan Salter. I love you. Shout out to her. I'm seeing her. Oh, exclusively? You're exclusive? Yeah. Does she know yeah. <laughs> that you have I- a boyfriend? <laughs> I am, um, we are going on a date. I'm jealous. Anyway, Anyways, we're talking about queer film. We are talking about queer film. We're talking about the history of queer cinema, where... Well, you are. Yes. And I'm going, huh, okay. She's got, she says, <laughs> I mean, I I think I know a gay film. I've, I've seen a gay film. Love, Simon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, um, so we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be talking about the history, kind of talking about some stuff I knew a little bit about, a lot of stuff I'm learning as we go along. I'm going to highlight specific films through the eras and, like, why they were big deals as they were released. Um, And then we're going to, you know, end it off as we usually do. We're going to do some rating. We're going to talk about some queer film that we very much enjoy. And I have a question to pose to you as a subjective and an objective question Pose that question, baby. Right now? Yeah. What would... How would you define... 
a queer film or queer cinema? Ooh, um, I, that's a good question. Are you going to answer as well? I really yes. hope so. Okay, cool. I wouldn't just ask you a question just for you to answer. I love hearing myself talk. Good. I, I mean, like, I, I was like, I'm like, is she like going to be like, this is the gay episode? So like pointed well, towards, I mean, I mean. We're both. I know. Uh, that's what I was going to say. The alphabet people. We are. Um... <laughs> I'm like, is it because I'm overtly? <laughs> yeah, and I'm more. Oh, she's a little fruity. She's a little. I could see. I think I give that vibe for sure. Yeah, the, this outfit very much gives the vibe. What? It, describe my outfit. Describe my outfit. I'll describe your outfit. Yeah, I when I walked up to Kay's front door today, I was like, "You are you are giving Miss Frizzle." So she's wearing this like cute top underneath a dress and it's very color coordinated and the dress itself is a button down dress and it's it's safari central there's a giraffe there's zebra or as the british like zebra the zebra there's flamingos there's cute trees he has palm trees yeah i wore this dress in pompeii where'd you get it from old navy i kind of want it (laughs) i mean I'll let you borrow it. <laughs> I'll probably fit you. Did you get it recently from Only Me? No. I got it two summers ago. Damn. When I went to Italy. I went oh, to Italy. excuse me. Italian I Old Navy. Compact. No, I, they don't have Old Navy in Italy. I oh. got this in the United States for my trip to Italy. I have no Italy. We know. Um, and anyway, and I, I, wore, I wore this to Whole Foods. Anyway. Craig is wearing a button-down, like, Hawaiian kind of shirt, but he tied it in a little knot at the bottom, and it's got, um, like, palmish leaves mm-hmm. and pineapples, yes. like, from a pineapple plant. Yeah. And he's wearing just jeans, yeah. cuffed, of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. Um, anyway, queer Anyways. cinema. Queer, queer cinema, let's talk about it. So, queer cinema, obviously it's the depiction of queer people, which um, has Did, all... You didn't answer my question. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> you go rattling off like a robot. I know. <laughs> anyway, queer um, cinema. <laughs> queer cinema to me is any representation of, you know, I think a mar- the marginalized group of the alphabet people, the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. And one shape, form, aspect, like I don't think it necessarily has to be the actors themselves. Sometimes it's the directors as we're going to be talking about queer coding today, mm-hmm. implementing stuff, whether that be, you know, actions from characters or lighting in a certain scene or Bisexual just... lighting. Yes, movement. <laughs> um, it could be a range of things. But ultimately what I think it does and which we're going to talk extensively about is it is often propagated, especially in like terms of a historical lens, to express common fears of a specific time and how that has evolved. Mm-hmm. Your turn. Well, I think there's like a strict definition and then there's more of a subjective. Like there's that, there's that meme on Twitter where it's like, oh, this is like a queer experience because I'm a queer and I experienced it. Um, so it's like any film could be a queer film yeah. depending on how you interpret it. I mean, look at our Disney Channel episode. Yeah, but like... There comes a problem of representation when it's just, like, it can't all just be coding. Like, your favorite queer films can't be ones where, like, they're coded. We are going to talk. Like, overt representation is important within the genre. 
um, just because I think there's been over heterosexual rep like representation throughout all of cinematic history. So I don't, at a certain point, like coding isn't enough. Like your favorite, like quote unquote queer movie could be one where the characters aren't overtly queer or like it's not even the protagonist who's queer or like, you know, it could be something like The Shape of Water or a vampire movie where like the themes are queer and it's done by queer uh, creators, but um, it's not necessarily like a Love, Simon, where it's like, this is a coming out story. And at the same time, a story that focuses only on gay issues or like, uh, you know, those ones where it's just like, this gay pe person goes through pain. It's just like, well, that's also not good. Yeah, that's another story you want to it defines the gay experience as just suffering. And it's like, you, it's, it, it's plays too much into identity politics where it's just like, you, you, it's not an important story just because you're gay. It's a story because you're a person yes. who just, who happens to be gay. Yeah. Um, so objectively it's more like queer themes, queer characters, but I think for each person, their favorite queer films could be something that isn't seen by the mainstream as like queer cinema like for you the wizard of oz might be a queer film because like it was important in your childhood and you're queer but to other people they're like that ain't gay yeah <laughs> it's like well surprise S surprise surprise we're all friends of dorothy yeah anyway anyways um, history let's go into some history so obviously depiction of queer people has always been present in film Mm -hmm. However, we want to think about the, the ramifications of that, whether it be implicit or explicit due to censorship and prejudice against the LGBTQ plus community that obviously has changed, molded, morphed over time. Um, so it contributes to this long and complicated history of queer coding in film because of these prejudices or the censorship that was made available um, queer coding, that's when someone does the computers, but they're also... A queer? Gay. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would love to start, like, a, a company that, like, does, like, management of websites and, like, designs websites, and it's called, like, Queer Coding, yes. and it's just gay people who do coding for websites. Honestly, it would thrive. It probably already exists. It definitely does. So, originally in mainstream Hollywood films, gay characters were used for humor and mm -hmm. were seen as the punchline for cheap and tacky jokes. And unfortunately, I think we don't think about this enough. Oh, look, wait, I got another text from some politician thing. They heard you. They're like, oh, we heard you're a gay. Yeah. <laughs> it's your month. <laughs> Happy month. <laughs> um, this was up until very recently as well. And I don't think we think about that enough. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is like 90s sitcoms. Ooh. We're, we're famous for stuff like this. Yeah. Seinfeld. Not, well, yeah, Seinfeld a little bit. Yeah, Friends. Friends. All um, those shows. I will say on The Nanny, it wasn't like making fun of gay people. It mm -hmm. was more so like, oh, this person's gay. It's just like making fun of the person who is straight rather than... But, like, yes. and not even in, like, a malicious way. Mm -hmm. I think it's also because the Jewish community is so aligned with the gay community because they were both kind of ostracized in the same spaces for a very long time in the latter half of the 20th century, um, where they kind of found even grounding, especially in New York City. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, with that, kind of going back into queer coding, um, 
with the passing of the Hayes Code, which mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about later once I really Rother- get into it. Bird B Hayes, right? Yes. Wait, really? I believe so. Oh shit! <laughs> I was uh, just saying something stupid. <laughs> oh, I, um, I'm forgetting. This is no, bad. wasn't that the? I don't know what I'm saying at all. It's okay. <laughs> um, do we ever on this? Sh- pod? I, sometimes I do. Sometimes we do. Um, so we actually, with the passing of the Hayes Code, we saw obviously the rise in queer queer coding, but specifically for villains. Mm. and film, which we're going to talk a little bit about, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, I just watched something that was talking about how much uh, Disney villains are queer-coded. Yes. Um, So, through the decades, we have, like, the 1960s, where gay characters were represented only through tragic stories. Um, 1970s birthed the popularity of queer camp. Camp, baby, looking camp right in the eye. Looking it right in the eye. 1990s gave independent filmmakers who were often gay the chance to tell authentic stories. So it's this weird dichotomy of, like, we were just talking about how sitcoms were still making these tacky, like, tasteless jokes. But then at the same time, you had these artists really coming forth and um, trying new things and being authentic. Well, it's all about, like, the the mainstream culture and the counterculture. Yes. Like, and now... That counterculture is somewhat more mainstream, but also not at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then just something to think about how far we've come. I'm going to highlight the movie Moonlight, um, which made history in 2017 as the first LGBTQ plus movie to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Um, The film, which features an all-black cast, was one big step towards making gay cinema that isn't whitewashed featuring a range of identities and doesn't make its queer characters one note or vehicles of suffering, which you've touched on before when you were talking about how films focus too much on identity Mm -hmm. or um, that's the first thing that came to my head was the idea of whitewashing when we're focusing predominantly on the majority, which is like the white gaze. Mm -hmm. And like, honestly, we're giving us, when we're giving a crowd a, a film where someone's coming to terms with themselves, they come out to their family, and everyone loves them and hugs them, and it's a happy ending. Mm-hmm. It's not often the most realistic um, Sometimes storytelling. It is. Sometimes it is, but for a lot of people who have these stories, they just can't relate to it fully. Um, I was saying that thing uh, about, like, how I hate in fantasy films when, like, being gay is like a big thing it's just like if you're in a fantasy world you have like the choice to make your society however way you want like it's such a hack move i think to like make them homophobic it's just like really they can believe in dragons but they can't believe in two men loving each other come on now i think the thing that bothers me the most usually about film is there's a lack of intersectionality yeah in gay film and like like, i was just saying there's two gay mask looking men or like who are white and, and muscular it's like... and it's just <sighs> it's so underrepresenting different groups different people mm-hmm. and the history and obviously i'm not going to go too much into it because it's i feel like not just not my place to talk about but there are different minority groups that there is a um a bigger there's more stakes at hand when it comes to just like queer culture and mm-hmm. gayness in general where it's heavily like frowned upon yeah in different cultures as opposed to like you know being a white american 
Um, so we're going to go right to the beginning in 1894. We're going back some time. Is that the first movie ever? There was, there was the train was actually gay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tom, Thomas the train. No. I know. The, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, so the Dickinson experimental sound film, obviously it was a silent film, um, was, was, is regarded as the first gay film because wow. it... <laughs> During this time, it completely shocked audiences with the presentation of two men dancing together. So oh, they don't hail. This subverted conventional gender roles. That's true. This this caused absolute chaos. Like imagine you being in eighteen ninety four and you go into the cinema with your lovely husband. And that back then it was like going for a night at the opera. Like everybody dressed yeah, up. Yeah, that's everything. what I'm saying. And then you sit down oh, and you're watching the film and you see two men like dancing together. What a stir it would cause in all the salons and parlors afterwards as we sipped our mint juleps and just fanned ourselves. We'd be like, Oh, did you see that? Such blasphemy in the theater. Yeah, what that. word would they even have for it? They wouldn't blasphemous. Call it a, they wouldn't call it a gay film. They'd be like, "What is this?" All this sodomy. Yeah, yeah. basically. Um, and then going a little bit forward in time, um, we have you know Charlie Chaplin, who is the comedian um, in the early nineteen uh, hundreds, and he was really much known for his slapstick humor. We have early representation of cross-dressing for laughs, which was presented. Um, there was a film of his, I think it was called, like, A Woman or something like that, in 1915, mm-hmm. in which, obviously, like I said, it's the whole, like, you know, dressing in the conventional gender norms of the other um, for, like, for a ruse and a laugh. And, to again, it was very much shock culture still during this mm-hmm. time where you went to the theater to see this and you saw a man wearing a dress and you were like, <gasps> or, yeah, you bust out laughing. Yeah, I think it's me- it's meant to be funny. Yes. Especially given his, uh, his oeuvre. Yes. And that th- means eggs. <laughs> yes. And think about it now. How would that differ? What do you mean? Oh, like if someone were to dress up in a... Yeah, like the now. humor aspect of it. It's not as humorous. I think some people would still find it funny. Of course. But, you know, given the whole Candace Owens, Harry Styles of it all, um, I don't know. You know, I think super left-leaning people, they see a man in a dress and they're like, he's so brave. Um, you know, these neoliberals who are like, like tearing down toxic masculinity when it's just like it's just an article of fucking clothing it's literally and a at the strip same time, of fabric like some of these people who are basically fascists are just like they see trans trans uh women and they're like oh my gosh her shoulders look so huge or like oh my or like on the other side they'll be like oh, why does she look better in a dress than me? It's like, what do you mean? She's also a woman, dumbass. Yeah. Like, I, that's the most, like, disgusting backhanded compliment or that cis people think they're doing. When they do that, they're like, oh my gosh, let me know how you're, like, trans and you're prettier than me. I'm like, the fuck? Yeah, it's weird. Let me it's know how really... you're cis and stupid. Yeah. It's <sighs> Down with cis. It's gross, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we're going to jump forward to 1922 with the jump. film... Uh, with Jump... <laughs> as you will, with the film Manslaughter, and this includes the first erotic gay kiss. As in, like, the way... Between (laughs) two men. Erotic, but you mean, like, literally just a little peck, probably? And, like, the funny thing is, 
I was read. I think this is a film where it was like a war film, and mm-hmm. the soldier kisses the other soldier in the mouth because he's dying. So yeah, but again, like, I don't know if people would have seen that. Like that's the whole thing. Like the the homosocial relationships were prior. Right, and it, I was yeah. reading an article about it where it was saying that was actually very normalized in the trenches. That's like. However, obviously, if you did not go to war, you did not know that. For so for children, I women, I feel and, like men always kiss like their brothers or their fathers and their sons on the lips it doesn't it really depends on the culture this but is more focused what on i'm American saying is culture. that um like a lot of like you can do queer readings of shakespeare and stuff like that but a lot of the homos like homoerotic things that you see are more so just homosocial elements that were normal at the time and only during like the rise to protestantism and like just super orthodox christianity did they become taboo yeah so thank you america i guess for that all the prickin freaking prudes came over to the america prickin, the, the prickin prudes the prickin prudes um came over and had to ruin you know being gay they just had to, they had to just like throw their beliefs down everyone's throats. They're like, you should not. And they're like, why? It's like, because we translated the Bible wrong once on purpose. And now that's, more. that's the law of the land. It's just yeah. like, yeah, you didn't even translate God the forbid Bible, this right? becomes another Salem witch trial in our hands, basically. Well. Um, going into 1929, we have Pandora's Box, which features cinema's first lesbian character. Ooh. Saucy. And then 1930, not too long after, the film Morocco presents the first lead actress to kiss another woman on screen. That is scandal. That is 1930? Are you kidding me? Get behind me, lesbians. Yes. Get behind me. (laughs) Let's go, lesbians. Let's go. (laughs) Um... I just would, I would love to see, I would, I'd love to be a fly on a wall during these, like, again, these premieres where people, like, the socialites and the, the, the bourgeoisie were showing up to the theater. I honestly think it was the upper echelons who didn't care that much. It was probably the more common folk who did. Interesting. Cause, like, half of the rich people were super gay. Yeah, but it was still, you know, kind of like, we know oh, this, but yeah. we don't, yeah. Well, they would, yeah, they kept it hush hush. It wasn't popular in society, but everyone knew, you know? And then they fork everything up in 1934. Hollywood had to be a little bitch, and they got to pass those haze codes, which became strictly enforced at this time. Um, So the motion picture production code set guidelines from 1934 up until 1968. Um, Obviously, I want the the listeners at home to know, like, the the, um, haze codes kind of went through a wide range of things. It wasn't, like, specifically, like, anti-gay. Like, it wasn't, like, attacking. Yeah, no, it was a lot of things. It was a lot of different things, but specifically, like, one of, like, the codes or bylaws. And this is what, because of the rise of the studio system? Because mm-hmm. all more movies were putting being put out. They yes. didn't have time to really, like... So with um this, like, was forbidding explicit representation of homosexuality... Um, so this is really where we see the emergence and the precision of queer coding. Um, in 1948, Alfred Hitchcock releases Rope, which has two heavily coded gay men mm. murder their classmate for the, shri- the sheer thrill of it. That's always a fun one to read up on in a lot of, uh, Hitchcock theory and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hitchcock enjoyed exploring sexual and gender deviance. He was known for that, so he... Psycho. Yes, he coded characters in 
uh, Rebecca, Strangers on a Train, as well as Psycho. Uh, I think it's really interesting. I think Rope was based on a real-life case. It was. Yes. Um, but it kind of took off in, like, the way that uh, a lot of straight Americans saw yes. gay people. It, like, reignited their fears that they had about them. And that's what I kind of wanted to point out it's right like now. Was, like, baby. The fact that they were heavily coded and they are murderous characters. It's, like, the same thing. As, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but in um, freaking... Silence of the Lambs. I'm not talking about that today. But, but I go on it. Um, the the portrayal of Buffalo Bill as someone who is trans, but also you know a, a serial killer, cannibal. I think also um, solidified the fears people had about trans people. But where they were like, oh, it's just a man in a dress. But like, and they have one line that addresses this in the entire film, where it's like. Um, I think Dirty Foster says, oh, well, you know, he's not actually trans. Or, like, the doctor says, he's not trans. Like, no one has has said that. Like, he's never even said that. Um, like, kind of trying to excuse themselves from any backlash they could get from the trans community, but didn't work. And for years after that, people just saw uh, trans women as men in dresses because of Buffalo freaking Bill. And there's also one with, um, oh, what's his face? Michael Caine, I think, where he plays a trans murderer or, you know, just someone who they like to dress up in a dress and do murder. And it's like, this is probably not the best representation. Yeah, they (laughs) tend to do that and it's never a good cause. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thank you. Um, going on to 1955, one of my favorite movies of all time, Rebel Without a Cause, mm. um, features the first on-screen gay teenager. So Sal Mineo was one of the first publicly gay actors during the time and referred to his own character as the first gay teen in film. Oh, but it, I'm like, I don't think the, the movie really makes that a thing. It, it, I mean, it's yeah, there. It's there. I yes. definitely... Thought well, though it's kind of like uh, Oedipal in a way. Then I'm not gonna get into it, um, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I always shipped him and James Dean's character in that movie. They were just like, but like what I mean by that is like um, James Dean and uh, the the I, for, I always I, for, I don't remember any of the character names, but them two are kind of like the parents of him. Um, but he also kind of has this more intimate relationship with him as well. So he's like kind of like a father figure, yeah. but also like it's but like a lover. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, look at my phone background. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my phone background is my cat. So whatever. Um, I just love, so for the folks at home, they're like, what is this phone background? Oh yeah, I didn't <laughs> say it. <laughs> yeah, it's James, it's James Dean and Natalie Wood. It's like a behind the scenes photo of them because I adore them. Um, anyways. R.I.P. to both of them. What? R.I.P. to both of them. I know. And especially. Both so sad. Both of them very tragic. Man, you're just asking for a disaster to happen with your phone. I know. Also talking about like her mysterious death. Christopher Walken, I am on to you. What? He was involved. He was on the boat 
Okay, we'll the, get it. We'll have to get into death. this a separate time. Yes, I don't trust him now because of that. Okay, so now going forward again in 1967, um, we have the portrait portrait of Jason, which filmmaker Shirley Clark interviews Jason Holley, who is a black gay sex worker and aspiring cabaret dancer. So I feel like that's the first time that we see any sense of diversity, and it's coming off more documentary like style, mm-hmm. um, which is really great especially during this time 1967 Mm -hmm. um well we're about to head into some fun territory in the 60s and 70s exactly um and then just the year after the the Hayes code is lifted uh and we see the implementation of the mppa which we know Mm -hmm. is still in (laughs) isn't it mpaa or is it mppa mppa Unless they changed it. This is what my research was giving me, (laughs) um, which obviously was the new film rating system, and Mm -hmm. it's what we still use today. Yeah. Um, Oh, this is fun, how I I phrase this. So, in the year 1975, that's where we see Camp and Crime, Double C, Alliteration Baby, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Dog Day Afternoon are... Um, come out. So Dog Day Afternoon is based on a real bank robbery by a man trying to pay for his partner's gender affirmation surgery. And we all know the cult classic that is Rocky Horror with its representation of Frank- Dr. Frankenfurter who um, is trans and... Yeah. It's uh, considered a transvestite in the film. but Yes. Just queer. Which is like an outdated, yeah, an outdated term. Yeah, you uh, don't, we don't use that term anymore. Um, it's a good song. Yeah, it is a when Mercedes does it in Glee. Are we kidding? We've mentioned this before, and we, we'll mention it. Again. We will. We will keep bringing it up until you all listen to it. <laughs> Amber Riley, you're invited on the podcast whenever Ever you, you want. want. To come. Oh my goodness, I love her so much. <laughs> um, yeah. Now we're gonna go into the 1980s, which is some dark territory because obviously this is where we're gonna see the. AIDS epidemic, which interestingly enough, though, film doesn't kind of touch upon that until the 90s. Yeah. But obviously, as we talked about in our vampire episode, it is definitely... Which hasn't aired yet, so... obviously hasn't aired yet, (laughs) but we talked about this idea of the AIDS fear being implemented into 80s film Mm -hmm. and pop culture. Um, So the 1980s, we see some film backlash. Uh, There's a movie called Cruising, which is highly roasted for good reason (laughs) roasted um i'm very actually interested in seeing this movie because i've heard so much backlash about it before i even did my research for this the 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 past week i've heard just a lot of backlash Mm -hmm. so i'm curious to see the representation so basically the film explores an undercover cop searching for a serial killer who targets the snm leather community um and yeah and the reason why so many people are obviously against this film and have speaking out against it, um, speaking spoken, can't talk, spoken. Um, because the gay characters are depicted as one-dimensional and are sex-crazed lunatics. I mean, that's what a lot of the gay people in Brooklyn are like. <laughs> 
the white gaze in a freaking Astoria. Yeah, but and <laughs> I know what you mean, but it's basically equating. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, they're, it's equating them like, oh, they deserve to die because they're 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 lustful and well, sin- yeah. That's what we spoke about, yeah, in my yeah. vampire thing, where it's just like, oh, if you're gay, you have to die. Yeah. What? Uh, 1985, we get Desert Hearts, which is the first mainstream lesbian film with a happy ending. My friend told me to watch that. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. I need to mm-hmm. check it out myself. I've yet to watch it. Which obviously gives me, um, Black Mirror correlation, a, a lesbian episode with happy ending. I still haven't seen that episode, but I've heard great things. Um, in 1990, we get Paris is Burning. Mm-hmm. Which it explores New York ballroom culture with diverse queer representation. Uh, my boyfriend was actually talking to me about this movie the other day. He's like, "I hope that's like in your like your your to- your talking points because it was like obviously very profound and like uh, um, informative for its time, especially." And unfortunately, it's a very controversial film because the mofo's involved um, did not really the people well the mm-hmm. subject the subjects of the film received yeah. little compensation that's why like it's so hard to like for me to accurately rate documentaries because it's like i'm just looking at the contents like i don't know anything about the people who make the documentaries mm-hmm. or like how ethical it was or if it's something i'm learning about for the first time like how well they're doing at representing the subject matter or like when you're an insider and you watch a documentary about something that you're inside about it's like okay i think this is a good representation yada 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 yeah so there's only so much that we can find out until we find out about it Mm -hmm. um and then 1992 we see kind of a shift in film b ruby rich um spoke about this um new term that she coins or new phrase i should say which is new queer cinema yeah i saw something about that yeah so we have we have the birth of that um so in the 90s uh, 1999, the first thing that came to mind was Kim- Kimberly Pierce's Boys Don't Cry, mm. uh, which tells the real-life story and murder of trans youth Brandon Tina, who was played by Hilary Swank in the film. Yeah. It's challenging because I... It, it tells a good story and it tells a real story and the, the danger that, that trans youth go through. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I wish they had a trans actor play the role. It's 1999. Like, even in the 2010s, are not having trans actors play it, trans roles. Exactly. It's, so, it's just an ongoing issue. It really is. Um, and then, of course, we have to talk about this film, the the gayness of it all. In 2005, we got Brokeback Mountain, uh, which is the first mm-hmm. big mainstream film focusing yeah. on a gay love story. And I actually want to specifically focus on the PR and the advertising for that film. Oh, didn't they mislead them? To yes. It was like a... Just, you know, your movie about two buds who are hard workers. No, so they, like, all the... Oh, we know po- all the marketing has that is heterosexual. Yes, because, the yeah. posters and the advertisement have it about, like, um, you see um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character with Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. and it seems like this loving, you know, heterosexual couple, and they're thriving, so all these people went to the movie and got something completely different. I forgot who I was talking to on the matter, and they said, I see it both ways as it being problematic and also, like, as it being, like, 
not so much. I maybe I'm like me I'm like me honestly as a gay person like hearing that they did something like that I'm like that was a move yeah and I'm like I am here to support it I think it's funny I think it's so funny I'm like yeah that's camp that is camp <laughs> they the director looked camp in the eye only um yeah and then obviously it's a profound film especially because it was the first mainstream like gay love story that we get as a society listen. I love the two leads. Would I have liked actual gay actors? Of course. Yeah. But... 2005, very difficult. Or, like, they weren't, they couldn't be out. I mean, I, to my knowledge. Those yeah, three. it was still very early on. Yeah, I think Heath Ledger were... was straight. Um, or at least straight passing. Yeah. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal, for all we know, is heterosexual. He hasn't ever dated a man, but yeah, things he said to Tom Holland, I'm like, mm. Mm. okay, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Um, I actually watched that movie for my first time within, I would say, the past year or I so. Remember. Yeah, it's like, was... kept on telling you to watch it, and you were like, mm-hmm. I'll get around to it. It made no sense. I'm like, it's gay. It's got Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal and Anne Hathaway. What are you doing? And then, unfortunately, no, not unfortunately, I'm, I lo- I have a love-hate relationship with Michelle I, Williams, I which we've why. talked about many times. I don't, it's because she played one character you didn't like. Yes. You need to get over it. Well, you know why? She's it was great. Uh, I know. It was my first introduction to her, and it's, the, the your first introduction sticks with you. So I saw her in Dawson's Creek, and I couldn't stand her character. <sighs> Um, and also her character in that movie is so annoying. You feel kind of bad for her, for sure. Yeah, you, you feel bad yeah, for her. Yeah, but at the same time, like, she annoyed me too much, or I'm just like, eh. <sighs> okay, maybe you have something it was very against de- women. Espresso depresso, that, that film, of course. Oh, yeah. Like, you it put me, it put me in a, in a headspace that I did not want to be in for some time. Um, again, we've already talked about this in the pod today, but Moonlight wins Best Picture in 2017, which is still like probably one of the biggest deals ever like i think i don't know i think it, it deserved it i'm so happy it won mm-hmm. um beautiful like everything about that movie is just so well done so well executed so beautiful so real like it's yeah. so interesting to see like the past few best picture winners and like how kind of like some of them all seem like they're in the same category like you have moonlight mm-hmm. um then you have shape of water and then I think the next year you have fucking Green Book. Like, what? Yeah. And then the year after that you have, I think, Parasite. And then this year, Nomadland. And it's just like, what is going on? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think they're very picky and choosy. They're like, oh, well, we did one that had, like, minorities last year. So we can do <laughs> the white people one this year. It's, it's okay. weird. Okay. Um, it's getting weird. <laughs> it's getting real weird, you guys. Um, and then to end this off. In 2021, this year, um, we have mainstream children's entertainment introduces a queer character in Netflix's film, The Mitchells vs. the Machines. That's true. Um, Miss Lee, Miss Katie. Miss Katie. Who is... Voiced by Abby Jacobson. Oh, was she? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I forget. Um, Katie, who, by the way, is a film student... And has a bad relationship with her dad. This was a little bit too. Well, personal. like kind of both her parents, but more so her dad. Yeah, and then 
I'm just Mr. Popular today. My phone be popping off for no apparent reason. It's all just like Grubhub and DoorDash. <laughs> no, it's all like those random calls. Um, and and she's a bit fruity. Yeah, she's yeah. gay. Yeah. And she's quite openly gay. Yeah. Um, um, so a lot, a lot of uh, resonance. And it was a really good film. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I had fun. I sat that there. And, and um, I just watched Luca. But that's, it's not like, again, it's all coding, which is like, fine, but like Disney, for God's sake, how many times are you going to have like the first ever gay character and like, they're not even, or like that gay character gets five seconds of screen time yet, you can have this story about these two boys who are different um, from society and society may not accept them, but all they have is each other. And it's just like, are you kidding me? Just say they're gay. Oh my god. Anyway. Anyways. Um, so as we I mentioned briefly in the beginning of this, we know as time times have changed, we see a change in representation that parallels the fears that's um, of society that is presented throughout history. Um, and we are seeing more overt storylines and characters, but we... We aren't, you know, we have not reached the finish line. Uh, and my, my, my um, rhetorical question, perhaps, is how is queer representation problematic in film? Do we focus too heavily on sexuality? Do we offer enough diversity? And lastly, before we go into our rating, I would love to talk about, in which um, I, I coined this, the straight actor to gay character pipeline conundrum. Here's my thing. I think that, you know, gay people have played straight characters for years. And they've done it effortlessly. I mean, look at freaking Jonathan Groff. Are you kidding? I was going to even say uh, Neil Patrick Harris. That too. Um, I have no problem with a straight person playing a gay character if they're the right person for the role. I do think that gay people should always be considered first for that role. And if they go through every single gay person and they can't find someone who's better than a straight actor, then they should, you know, cast that straight actor. I think for a while, um, and kind of still today, we see too many straight actors playing gay characters. Um, And only recently have we started to see more gay actors play authentically gay characters and vice versa where but at the same time it's like you don't want like you're an actor you're supposed to be able to have range um but i think it's more of a thing of i think actors haven't been as openly gay and like i'm sure a lot of the actors who have played gay characters who are seen as straight probably weren't actually gay and i think the backlash that a lot of these actors get is harmful because like what if they are gay or what if they are bisexual or queer in some way and you're like you can't play this part like i think it's it's complicated it is and And i i think i'm not a casting director but like i that my point is i think we should be placing more blame on the casting directors yeah not on the actor just like but there is a sense of ca- accountability over the actor because at the end of the day, you did 
choose to take on this that's role. like what zendaya does where like if the the casting calls for a white girl she'll audition but if it's for like a dark-skinned black girl she just does not audition because she's not going to take the role of a dark-skinned woman from a dark-skinned woman when she is light-skinned yeah you know um and i think it's the same thing with like like i don't want to force anyone to come out of the closet obviously but in hollywood it's not like you're not going to get cast and stuff anymore yeah and then also it's like you're you're going to play a gay character yeah it's just like depending on what that film but explores, again, you don't want to force anyone out of the closet exactly like. and i agree i am just very much against it in certain ways because again it's like we've talked about you're taking opportunity away and it also just you know this hits too much at home where it's like you are literally like devaluing a story yeah i mean at the same time like you're an actor do what actors do and act um, and then this actually brings up the the most recent controversy, which has me very heated. Um, so Love Simon has a television show. Oh, Love Victor. Love Victor on Hulu, and they just came out with a season two. And as far as we know so far, the two leads are both straight, and they're playing gay act. Like, I gay thought characters. one of them came out as bi don't know i can't guarantee that however they're both on the cover of attitude magazine Mm -hmm. for pride month which had everyone up in arms in which i completely agree it's why are we continuing to give straight people a narrative for our stories Mm -hmm. our our lives our our feelings our emotions a little bit of everything it's it's them in a in a weird backwards way profiting pride on straight people once again yeah i don't think they should be on the cover of like pride issues and stuff because it's like they did a job they're not pushing forward a certain agenda or like doing anything for gay liberation i I think one of the leads like what is it's something along the lines of like he's not gay himself but his cousin is oh yeah that's the one who plays victor i think yeah i think he said his brother something it's like a sibling and i'm like I understand, but that's still, like, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And, again, coming from, like, someone who has, you know, experienced stuff firsthand and has has dealt with backlash because of my sexuality, it's a very sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. And for someone to be like, oh, well, I saw someone go through it, so I want to... It's like... It's nah. not the same. It's not the same. Mm-mm. Not in the slightest. And then at the end of the day, once they call and, like, basically cut, you could be like, okay, I can go back to my silly little happy straight life mm-hmm. and not have to stay in this bubble of, like, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, those are my only, like, I mean, I can go on forever, mm-hmm. but, like, I'm, uh, there's no need to. Um, I am excited to go into our rating segment where we talk about our top five queer films. So... How about you start with number five? Take it away, girl. Okay. It's actually one that we've already discussed. Actually, three of the ones on my list are ones we've already discussed. I f- okay. Before you actually... Because I'm basic. Before you even start, I, I did tell Dave, I think yesterday, I was like, you know, I want to say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know at least, like, two of her five films. If not, like, I have an idea of what her film is. You'll know like. all of them. 
No, but I mean, like, I'll know that you picked these. Like, okay. I had an idea of what you picked before I came here today. Okay. So we'll, we will see by the end of it. Okay. Number five is 2005's Brokeback Mountain. Mostly because it is one of the first, like, queer movies I ever watched. Mm. Um, like, overtly anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a great movie. It I is. think it's... It, again, focuses less on, like, their sexuality and more on their emotions and, like, the emotions of queer people and, and of gay men. each other. Did you know based on a short story? I did not. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it is... Uh, would you say espresso depresso or whatever? Espresso depresso. Yeah. I mean, that scene at the end when Heath Ledger's, like, crying into his shirt. His shirt. Pain. Pain. Um... But I, it's just a it's just a great film. Like you can tell that the actors cared so much about each other and cared so much about the subject the matter. Exactly. Um, I agree. Like Jake still has such wonderful things to say about Heath Ledger all those years later. Um, and mm-hmm. there's a reason that like it is so beloved in the gay community. Like it's a it's just a good movie. It's you know decent representation. I'll say like. It's accurate, that's for sure. But, you know, I guess for the time period, it makes sense that they're both white because, like, if one of them was black, they would have been killed right away. Like, there would be no question about it. And, like, there is the question of, was Jake Gyllenhaal's character... Is is that one Ennis or is that... um, I forgot. Anyway, if he died of natural causes or whatever his parents said or if he was, you know, hate-crimed. Yes. And killed. Um, and I think, you know, that's a worthy question, a worthy thing to look into. Um, really sad, but will always be a big part of my heart and, you know, my introduction into queer films, even though it was quite mainstream. Yeah, I think that put me into, like, a good three-day depression. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely, I had to sit there for, like, 20 minutes afterwards yeah. and just go... Oh, <laughs> I was just like, I think the thing that got to me the most is like the, obviously the notion or the idea that this mountain is like their place that they always go back to. Mm-hmm. And even at the, like they make clear, like through the dialogue and stuff like this is their safe haven. And like, this is the place that they go back to. And mm-hmm. as like the years go on and they change, like, oof, that, that, mustaches. <laughs> that hurt both the mustaches and the growing and the, ah, yeah. uh, I just wish I knew how to quit you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. anyway. So that's my number five. I'm keeping it pretty short and sweet. Yeah. T- this week, I think. Yeah, that's fine. Um, my number five is actually a film you told me about. And I watched because of Word. you. Uh, it's Uncle Frank. From oh, yeah. 2020. Um, Sophia Lillies is in it. And... Paul uh, Bettany. As we all know, she's a great actress. She's great. I can't wait till she wins something. She will. She will. She's great. Um, what I love about this movie, I don't think I expected to love it as much as I did. I could tell that by the, when I was, you know, telling you to watch it, you're like, okay. And then you were like, hmm. And then by the end, you were like, okay, wait. I, yeah, I'm yeah. like, let me, let's, oh, let's unpack this. Mm-hmm. Um, so for anyone who doesn't really know what the film is about it's actually an amazon original correct mm-hmm. I think, yes it's an amazon original film it came out in 2020 and 
it is through the perspective of Sophia Lilly's character mm-hmm. uh, growing up with her family in the 1970s, and her uncle is different from everyone, and she slowly learns that he's gay. I would say it's not even slowly. Like, he's a, a professor at the college she goes to. Well, that's when she first finds out. Yeah, and then she like, goes they kinda, to a party they, they try to keep house. it from her. Yeah. Well, I don't know if the family quite knows. Like, I think they have an inkling. Yes, but it's obviously just They're not, just like, oh, he's different. It's very hush-hush, and then she meets his partner. Mm-hmm. Um... And what I love, what I love about that movie so much, and like we kind of joked about it after I watched it, was the scene where she goes to the college party with her friend who she like is in love with, and he tried to get with her uncle. Yeah. And I'm just like, that is just yeah, slut. It's just very accurate though. Like yeah. that would happen to someone. Um, and what I love about the movie is her discovery of herself as a person and her relationship with her uncle and how that changes over time and as she grows up and how she realizes like the whole point of the movie is she feels like a black sheep in her family and she knows her uncle is and she sees the the different reactions of you know once they find out he is gay Mm -hmm. um and she comes to the realization like for those of you who don't support him i don't care because i love him more than i love any of you Mm -hmm. Um, and like a lot of her family rallies behind him when he is outed um it's just the big thing is like him and his father yes um and which is also very realistic when his father uh dies like he says something awful in his will about him yeah yeah it's like homophobic and it's it's distressing like that the one i read the will that one scene that put a dagger through my heart Mm -hmm. that was that was painful. And think about how many people go through that every day. It's just, yeah, it was, it was, it was so well uh, executed. I don't know. I just, I was a very big fan, and it's a mm-hmm. film that I definitely want to tell more people about for people to watch it and like rally behind it. Yeah. Give it the watches it needs mm-hmm. and it deserves. Yeah, I think it went pretty quietly. Like I didn't see that many people watch it, and I was like, Yeah, I don't I think many more people it. know about it. I didn't know about it until you told me. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, on to number four. Number four. Okay, so now this is one that isn't overtly queer, but... Cool. ...is. And I think I told you to watch this one, too. I don't know if you ever did. Um, it, it stars one of my favorite actors, Paul Dano, and it's Swiss Army Man. I have not, yeah. Okay. So essentially it's about a man who is, like, marooned in a way, like, a la Tom Hanks' castaway, and um, he's marooned with this this dead body, yes. but he he acts... It, the dead body, played by Daniel Radcliffe, acts as kind of a Swiss Army knife. He's a Swiss Army man. That's the title. Um, and so he can ride him, because he's, he's, like... He's multifunctional. He, he keeps farting, because, you know, sometimes you fart after you die. Mm-hmm. Um... And so he rides him kind of like a dolphin to different shores. He, you know, he's alone on this, in this area with him. So he projects onto him and he has conversations with him and they, he starts a relationship almost with him the whole time. And he's, he's dead. Although it's like kind of hinted, like maybe he's actually alive or like he can be saved or something. Um, And by the end, it's quite obvious that like, there's some sort of homosocial, homosexual relationship between the two. Mm. Um, where they're, it's like they're like husband and wife in a way. 
Um, is it mutual? Is it consensual? These are all questions we could ask. But um, it's a lovely film. I enjoy it very much. Paul Dano. What a revelation. I love him so much. I watch any movie he's in. He makes it ten times better. He's a scene stealer. Um, he's, yeah, he's definitely one of my top five actors. And this movie is just so good. And it's, like, surprisingly joyful for a dark comedy yeah. about a man kind of going through psychosis while projecting onto a dead body. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I'm excited to watch it. It's kind of like a rom-com. <laughs> if when you think a about it. A dead rom-com. It's kind of like a rom-com. Um, so, perfect segue, because my number four also has Daniel Radcliffe in it. Oh, is this uh, Kill Your Darlings? It is Kill Your Darlings from 2013. I still haven't seen it. Um, so for anyone at home who doesn't know about this film, it is based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is about the, a murder in 1944 that draws together the great poets of the Beat Generation. So you have Allen Ginsberg, Jack yeah. Kerouac, and William Burroughs. Yeah! Um, All poets who I really like. Yes. So you have... Is it Dane DeHaan? Is that how you say it? Dane DeHaan. DeHaan. Okay, Daniel Radcliffe, Michael C. Hall... Um, are your, like, three leads, um, which is Isn't so like funny. Dane DeHaan way older than he looks? Isn't he, like, yes. almost 40? Yes, he's way older than he looks, That's sure. disgusting. <laughs> I don't trust like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust like that. Um, he, I don't know why it's not really mentioned. So he, uh, Dane DeHaan plays Lucy and Carr, which is also, like, another prominent person. Mm-hmm. He's, like, one of the main characters. And it's the person that kind of takes Allen Ginsberg through this world of just, like, debauchery. Debauchery. Um, once again, this poses a question. We have a film with straight people, straight actors playing queer roles, because, listen, the poets of this time, the, the beat poets... There's definitely overt homosexuality. However, they are the umbrella queer. Like, I feel like some of them were very much just, like, loved everyone type people. But I think it was also, like, more expected of, like, poets and artists of this generation where, like, they were all like that. Like, certain artists in, like, the 20s and stuff were as well. I also forget... like, well, duh. Leave them alone. I also forget Elizabeth Olsen is in this film. Oh, is she? Yes, there's like it, there's a good cast, and um, I still I really need to watch. It's it. a very good film. I love. I've only I've s- heard mixed things about it. Some people really love it. Other people like completely hate it. It's kind of like why a do you think people, wait, perks why, of being a wallflower. Why do people hate it? I don't, know. Oh, you don't know. I I don't know. I, I personally just... I just I'm also like obviously us being both English majors. Mm-hmm. I, like I'm really drawn into it. Is he a you know English major? Yeah. We're doing the wrist thing. Um, <laughs> it's just. I loved the character of Lucy and Carr and just how alluring he is for Allen Ginsberg. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and just basically how all these characters get wrapped up into this really messy situation, um, which I did not know about until I watched this film that it was a true story. So I had to do some of my own research. Well, I figured if it's using real people, who I know, but like before, I'm saying before I even like watched it, like when I was watching this movie, I literally just thought it was about the. I thought I was gonna say. Oh, oh. <laughs> we're good. We're good. When I went into this movie, I didn't know there was gonna be murder involved. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, murder. Yeah, because kill your darlings means like get rid of the things that you really care about in your writing if they're not doing anything for you. Yes. But I guess they meant literally kill. Yeah, so it's kind of like a double. Kill. Entendre, double meaning, <laughs> double entendre. Double entendre. Entendre. Um. Yeah. I am very much looking for forward for you to watching this mm-hmm. movie. Um, for you to watching. For for you to watching. Um, <laughs> the most notable thing I must warn you about. You probably do know about this since you've heard about the movie. Um, I don't know how to feel about it to this day. It's it's quite interesting, but obviously there is a very sexual scene between Allen Ginsberg and Lucien Carr. Oh yeah. Where I Daniel think I've seen Ra- yeah Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> bottoms for him. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I just, I don't know how I, how I feel. It was interesting. But yeah. no, it's a great movie. Um, Michael C. Hall, I mean, obviously not him, but like he plays David, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, Cameron, or it's basically, Luce, uh, is it Lucien Carr's like older lover or whatever? Mm-hmm. Trust you will be dealt with. I mean, he was dealt with. Yeah, okay. No spoilers, please. I mean, I don't know the real life story either. You so. don't, yes. Um, you you will see it unfold. Unfold. Um, number three is one that we've also spoken about. Um, and I think we've spoken about it also on a separate we have. podcast. So I'm not going to talk that much about it, but it is Moonlight. And, I mean, I love Barry Jenkins. I will say this every day, if need be. I would love to meet that man. Um, but I'd love to meet everyone involved in that film. Yeah. Um, this film is just very special, and I think it exists in its own bubble in a way. Um, yeah. And just, it's, it's a gorgeous film. It's a moving film. It's one that doesn't focus on the protagonist's uh, queerness as, like, you know, like, a, like an identity thing. I mean, it's par- very much part of his journey, but, like, he's very... It's multifaceted, and it's not just about that. And I think it's just an extra... Not an extra thing, but just, like, something that... it It's not big about itself, you know? Mm. I think in the same time that you have films like <laughs> Love, Simon, um, it's a nice refresher where it's like okay queer representations can be subtle and accurate and not these big things where like they have to revolve around the queerness of the protagonist and i mean it's just a good movie like even even if like you you don't you're not queer and you don't care about queer cinema to an extent which i i doubt if you're listening to this you don't care about queer cinema but just if you haven't watched it i don't know what you're doing do do all your senses the favor of watching your really eyes your ears light a candle while watching it if yeah. you have to and um trying to think about what you could eat yeah. or drink you need a really like i feel like it's like hot chocolate there's comfort food because it's yeah. comforting yeah they have food at the end 
Mm-hmm. I forget what it is. But anyway. Um, yeah, but that's my number three. So my number three is actually a French film. Bonjour. We go a little bit out of the American cinematography. Uh, this is a 20, 20, 2018 film. I have seen it presented in different names. Um, the English translation I have seen, it's called I Am Jonas. Okay. Um, I've seen it called Boys. I've seen it called Jonas. I, th- I, let me, let me see, just <clears throat> to look if I know the name of this, what I, if I know it. Is it on like a, uh... It's on Netflix. Okay. Yes, that's how I watched it. Um, so I'll give a little synopsis from Letterboxd. So it says, when Jonas was 14, he met the charismatic but mysterious Nathan. In addition to guiding him in his sexuality, Jonas soon confronts something dark and even dangerous about his new friend. Now an attractive, sexually assured adult, memories still haunt him. Trying frantically to put the missing pieces together, Jonas becomes determined to break the shackles of the past and finally set himself free. Um, so I watched this... I'd have to say, like, at least over a year ago, maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. And all I can say, like, a, a great word to sum up this film, again, especially for me, it was so profound. Oh, my goodness. I just mm-hmm. wasn't expecting it. So just to give you, like, a, a um, just an idea of what this looks like. So it has a 3.3 rating on Letterboxd. Okay. Um, I want to say it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm, I'm double checking on that. Yeah, it has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. It has a 3.3 on um, Letterboxd. I gave it a 5 stars. I, I remember ending that movie and being like, wow. It's just, I don't want to say anything about it because you need to watch it. Okay. It's one of those movies where you need to go in with no expectations or like mm-hmm. no knowledge of what it's about. But basically, it goes back and forth between his memories as being a 14-year-old and him present-day adult in his 30s. Okay. The ending, oh my goodness. Tatters? Had doing tatters? Not even that. It's just so fucked up. Oh, okay. Oh, like you will... Great. (laughs) I love being fucked up. Nothing will prepare you. I'm telling you, like, Mm -hmm. it is not... Not only will you be in tatters, you'll feel for this character. You'll also be like, what the fuck did you do? Mm -hmm. How did this happen? You're going to feel for all these characters involved. You're you're going to be holding your head, and it's going to take you 20 minutes to come down from whatever you were on. Okay. You're going to be like... Added to watch list. You're giving me so many things to watch. Now. Yeah, it really it stuck with me. It was a storyline again. The 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 interwoven story between him and this this boy Nathan. He meets that like sexually awakens him when he's younger. It's oddly obviously he needs to confront his past, and that is the point of the movie. And it is just ugh, it's wow, it's wow. That's all I can say. It's wow. Thank you, French cinema. Thank you for destroying me on many levels. <clears throat> and this is not the only film of French descent that has. Killed me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, the French. They really do. Um, That's my number three. My number two on a Tuesday is another one we've spoken about, and that is Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
this is just one that I can always put on and enjoy. I think I watched it for the first time in the ninth grade and it defined my personality at the time. Like, I could not stop yep. listening to the soundtrack and, like, trying to learn the dances and You stuff definitely like that. tried to dress a little Rocky Horror-esque to school. I, I was soft grunge at the time, yes, so definitely I, I fell into it. that. Yeah, not today, obviously. Who, who did you resonate with most? I'm very curious. I resonated the most with uh, Columbia and also Eddie. Oh, okay. Like, both of them. I fucking loved Eddie. Like, I thought he was so cool. Mm. Like, Hot Patootie, I was like, bless hell yes. Hot Patootie, bless my soul. Um, I... I'm so scarred by Eddie because all I can think about is Glee and what's his <laughs> name playing him? John, John Stamos. Stamos. <laughs> I am horrified. Yeah. Again, back to Glee, baby. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Murphy. Tear, Trust you will be dealt with. Tearing us apart one episode at a time. Um, but, yeah, it was truly one of, like, the first queer experiences I was let in on. Like, this is, bef- I think, when I was trying to, you know, starting to figure out all that stuff with myself in the ninth grade. Um, which is, I guess, early for some people. But, hey, I got a head start. What can yeah. I say? Um and so I was like, oh, why do we keep watching this? This better not awaken anything in me. <laughs> um, and it was, and it was great. And I couldn't stop watching it. And I felt like, you know, when you like I, feel dirty when you're young yeah. watching certain things, I felt dirty, oh. like what I was doing was wrong. Oh, for sure. Um, it's very. But it's really quite tame in, in comparison to a lot of the other things that were being put out, like any movie with Divine in it, honestly. Like, yeah. compared to, was it Pink Flamingos or something Flamingos with Divine in it? Rocky Horror Picture Show with nothing. It's, like, PG-13 at best. Oh, of course. But, like, still at the time, it, it explored such, like, oh, at critical the time. topics. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, now it's, it's a cult classic that has become kind of mainstream. I mean, you can go to any movie theater around Halloween and they're, they're doing Rocky Horror and it's mostly straight people. Yeah. At least in the suburbs. Um, maybe <laughs> if I go into Queens suburbs. or East Village, um, West Village rather. Uh, but it's still a very important, uh, movie for me and my soundtrack. coming of age in the ninth grade. Yeah. Great soundtrack. Again, Great Reeve Carney. Reef Carney, Mr. This Rip is Ralph. how many times have we reached out to you, buddy? I'm, we're going to Ouija board him. He's not dead, <laughs> yeah. but we're going to get a Ouija board and be like, Reef Carney. <laughs> He's going to be like, hey. Come um, to the pod, baby. Come to the pod. You and Amber Riley. That'd be fun. That'd be a fun episode. Yeah. We haven't gotten, around. like, anyone. It's okay. We got Bella. We did. That's good. She's She'll come back soon. Yeah. When you're moving, mm-hmm. I'll have her sub in, maybe. Perfect. So that you don't have to be like, oh I'm God. under stress. I'm under stress. Um, so yeah, it's my number two. Okay. <laughs> Rocky. Janet. Janet. Brad. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't. Donkey. <laughs> Pandemonium. Perfect segue. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know what? It is. <laughs> Especially, I can the, especially the second one. Give me any movie and tell me, like, justify this as a queer film, and oh. I can do it. I can do it's it. It's easily done. Mm-hmm. Um, my second... Maybe that's what we, sh- we should end on. My second one's pretty fun. Okay. 
it's it's heavily queer coded. There is no overt, but I can argue that. Okay. It is a nightmare on Elm Street Two. Right, Freddy's Revenge. Revenge. No, that is that is queer. Yeah, I was I've, say, I've read essays. Yeah, <laughs> she's like <laughs> I, I dabbled in uh my my mon- well anything that has a monster in it, baby, that's gay. Yeah. So there you go. So what we need to focus on with this this film, it's actually one of my favorite sequel films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mark Patton, who plays Jesse Walsh, which is the protagonist of the film, he is he was he's gay in real life, mm-hmm. um, and it comes across so overtly. I feel like in the film, if you're looking for it, it's it's there. The the, the let me pull up the premise of it. This is from, like, Wikipedia on Google. So Jesse Walsh moves with his family into the home of the lone survivor from a series of attacks by dream-stalking monster Freddy Krueger. There, Jesse is um, bedeviled by nightmares and inexplicably violent impulses. It turns out Freddy needs a host's body to carry out his gruesome vendetta against the youth of Springwood, Ohio. So while Freddy gains influence, Jesse and his girlfriend Lisa race against the clock trying to figure out what's going on. So basically, it is the... Um, the body snatcher story where this queerness or Freddy Krueger is taking over his body and these impulses mm-hmm. and these dreams and all these things he has. Um, there is a scene that takes place in a leather gay bar. Hell yeah. It's gay. Well, <laughs> like, I would guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is what came out in the 80s? Yes, yeah. this is 1985. Good time for... Um, well, not great time And there's a lot of... <laughs> There's a lot of struggle that he has internally, mm-hmm. obviously fighting Freddy Krueger, but also Freddy, fighting his own sexual deviance. Um, I forget his best friend's name in it. Oh, Ron. How how can I forget? I think it's I think it's Ron Brady is his his like best friend in the film. They are so into each other. There is just no denying their chemistry. And, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Miss Lisa Weber. You're just in the way of it. You are the beard. You are the beard, Lisa. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. Um, I actually need to watch this soon again because I haven't in a while. And like I said, it's one of my favorite sequel films. Nightmare on Elm Street is just one of my favorite horror franchises. Um, I actually, this would be a fun film to watch together. Yeah, because I've never seen it. I've seen the original. Yes. But I haven't seen any of the sequels. Yeah. Because there's way too goddamn many. Yeah. There's, what, seven, I think, altogether films? Or eight? Maybe? I think it's eight, including Freddy vs. Jason. Um. So, yeah, that is my number <laughs> two. Awesome. Awesome sauce. Also, Jesse is a heartthrob. Like, I have the biggest crush on him when I watch that movie. He's cute. He's okay. a cutie. All right. <clears throat> Time for my number one, which is, I think, a more recent film. I mean, not really. I, I know it... your number one. Do you? You might. Does it involve women? Yes. Yep. I was going to say, my whole list so far has been very male-based, yeah. but this one has women, um, and it is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I, that was the, I knew it was going to be your number okay. one, too. Well. It's fantastic. Whatever. It's... A film, yes, about women. Um, A woman who has been hired to paint a portrait 
of, of a lady. Of a, of a lady. Not on fire, just a regular portrait, but yes. she doesn't like to be... Like, she sh- she's not allowed to know that she's being um, uh, painted, and also the painting is for her husband, who will be coming in, like, a few weeks or whatever. Um, and they fall in love, but, like, it's not... It's, like, a more subtle period piece. Like, it's very quiet, and it's tender, and it looks... It's very much the female gaze and not the male gaze, which is, like, hell yeah, because it's rarely done in a lot of uh, sapphic films. Um, And at the end of the day, it's also a film about, like, women's art and how we look at that and respect that um because yeah as much as it is about their relationship it's also very much about um i forget is it helene eloise i forget the protagonist the the painter Mm -hmm. her art and how she remembers this woman who she falls in love with and the thing is like for most of the movie it's like four people in it there's the maid the two women and like the I think it's the mother, but she's mm-hmm. barely in it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, at the beginning of like the third act, boom, there's a man, and you're like, ew. And you don't realize, like, I mean, there's so many films where there's just men, and like it's like all of a sudden there's a woman there, and you're like, oh. And you don't realize like how rare it is to have a film where it's mostly women. Yeah. And all of a sudden, and then you a feel man. you feel that shift of presence. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Where, like, you could watch how many mob mob movies, and the only female characters are, like, the distressed wives, yeah. the maybe the, the hooker, or someone, some domestic worker <laughs> who's killed, and it's just, like, it's so much more interesting to see women take on these roles, and to take up this kind of space together. And it's just such a, it's such a beautiful film. It's French, so if you don't mind subtitles, um, definitely go check it out. I think it's on Hulu right now. It is. Um... It's just gorgeous. Holy shit. It employs the uh, Orpheus myth, which I love in cinema. Another shout out to Reef Carney, I suppose. Um, it's just... The ending is... I have no words. I have no words. Speechless. I'm done. Fiend. That's my number one. Ooh. <laughs> so my number one... It's in my favorites on Letterboxd. I remember seeing the trailers for this film when it was um, touring in festivals, like film festivals. Okay. And I was like, I cannot wait till this is put out, whether it be like on DVD or streaming service, like just some tangible way in which I could see this mm-hmm. film. And then they put it on Netflix. It's not on there any longer, but no worries, friends. I have it on DVD, of course, because it's probably one of my favorite movies. It's on my favorite list. And this is 2019 straight up. I think you've told me about this. And I have. About, yeah. Um, so the tagline, which is like kind of fun. So the tagline is, he might be gay. She might not care. And the, the um, description of it on Letterboxd itself, 
Todd, which is our protagonist, is a hyper-articulate, obsessive-compulsive gay. 20-something whose fear of dying alone leads him to a baffling conclusion. He might not be gay after all. When he meets Rory, a whip-smart, struggling actress with her own set of insecurities, the two forge a relationship that is all talk and no sex. So, basically, the protagonist's OCD, his compulsions, his 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 fears lead him to believe he understands that he is gay, mm-hmm. but there's a part of him he's like, maybe I'm not gay. And I think there's a part of him that accepts, accepts his gayness, but he's afraid to act on it. Yeah. So he tells himself that he's going to get into this relationship with a woman and that's where he'll find happiness. And again, he understands he's not going to have sex with her because he knows he doesn't want to. But he's like, if I have a relationship with a woman who is on my intellectual level, we could live a happy life. Um, so... The protagonist, the actor James Sweeney, he actually wrote this movie, he produced it, directed it, and starred in it. Fantastic film. Renaissance man. He is. Um, and then his other, his opposite lead is Katie Finley, who I obsess with mm-hmm. and adore. She is one of my favorite actresses. What I love about this film so much is the writing. Obviously, like I said, he did, he was a, a one-man show type thing where he did all this. He wrote it. It is so witty. It is so... We love a witty We love a witty... It's so... Dry, cut, witty, fantastic, smart. Everything about this movie. Show-stopping. Yeah, incredible, <laughs> one of a kind. Yeah. I can go on forever. It It's a very beautiful film. It's so interesting as a concept. It's carried out so perfectly. It's not... a ginormous cast or you're not getting lost in all these characters mm-hmm. um the cinematography is spectacular um there's just beautiful scenes all together uh, um what's probably like best known is this one shot of them laying on this carpet yeah in the house like that scene itself is so beautiful too it's a great movie the ending is just so it, it's it's a nice warm hug mm-hmm Everything about this movie. We love uh, a warm hug. It is, it's a comfort film. It really is. And it's, again, it's just so smart. Mm -hmm. That's the best. Smart defines the movie in all aspects. Um, And what's really great, too, is when I think of smart and very quick, witty dialogue, I think of Gilmore Girls, the television show. Yeah. And they even bring it up because her name is Rory. Mm. And he's like, Oh, like Gilmore Girls, and she's like, yeah, like Gilmore Girls, but like this, and they're going back and forth with each other about the show, and she's like, yeah, I own a box safe. He's like, oh my god, I thought I was the only one who owns a box safe, and they're going mm-hmm. back and forth, and it's just so, ah, I love it, I love it, I love it, you love it, I really do, I can't wait to make every person in my life watch this film <laughs> one day, I really can. Right, that, my time is coming, I suppose. Yeah, that is the the testament of true friendship. Ah. <laughs> uh. Um, do you have any honorable mentions? I do. I have uh, an, I also have a note after we're done with our honorable perfect. mentions. Perfect. I'm going to go through mine pretty quickly. Um, one we are, a few we've already talked about. We have Rebel Without a Cause from 1955. We have Moonlight from 2016, which was on your list. Mm-hmm. Um, Handsome Devil from 2016. Oh, I never watched that. That is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like one of a kind fantastic, but it, it is cute. It, it tells, I think, a good... I don't know. I liked it. Okay. Um, of course, God's Own Country. 
from 2017. I believe that still is on Netflix. It could be Uh, wrong. Yes. Um, That one is just very different. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's Call Me By Your Name-esque, but... Without the cannibal? Yeah, and, like, it's more... Grounded. Okay. Um, Book Smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Shiva Baby. That is, yeah. And then the last two I left on my list are actually older. They're both from the 90s, and one of them is a cult classic I watched probably within this past year, but I'm a cheerleader. That's on my honorable mentions so list. So good. I love that one. I just love the cinematography, honestly, for that film. It's so... I, the cast is really good. Oh, and it's just, it. like, so quirky and fun. It is. It's really... And I love how... Like, it handles the themes very well. Yes. And with, like, the levity they deserve, but it doesn't... It pokes doesn't, fun at it in a very appropriate way. It doesn't way. ever get to that level where you're like hopeless yeah which is good um and then my other film i have on here i don't know if you've watched it edge of 17 not the one with no i know you told me to watch yeah, it yeah from 1998 <clears throat> okay so edge of 17 um like i said it's very overtly queer it's a lot of sexual situations it's it's gay like obviously it's, it's gay. um for a night it came out in 1998 a year before but i'm a cheerleader I, again, once I explored that realm of earlier queer film, I was just very surprised of how much, I guess, they could quote-unquote get away with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it even was just out there and existed. But it basically is a coming-of-age film about a boy who's, like, late high school, going to be in college soon, and has, like, his first gay experiences and gay love and loss and... Uh, I'm trying to think of when I watched it because I remember being just like very like involved in the film itself because uh, I felt like similar to the character and I remember showing it to someone actually who just maybe just didn't have the same experiences as I had so they just didn't care too much about the movie and Mm -hmm. I was just like it was interesting just to see the different perspectives but again it is it is a um, important film. Um, the only two other honorable mentions I have to add are Carol from 2015, 2016, which is depressing as fuck, but it's good. Um, and one we just recently watched, which is Jennifer's Body. Yes. I can't believe I didn't add that in my honorable mention. Kind of gay. Very much Um, so. But what I wanted to note is that, um, I noticed that a lot of my films, in fact, probably all of mine are very mainstream uh queer films mm. where like it's ones that people know um and yours you had a lot of more indie underground ones and i yes. think and corroborate with me on this if okay. that's true but because i am bisexual um i'm straight passing and so a lot of uh cinema is catered towards me anyway yes. you know where there's heterosexual relationships and like i can project onto that and see myself in those characters mm. anyway yes um for you being gay a gay man it's different because it's like an event when there's a gay film out yeah I and actually, it's, you have to search for it i had this conversation with one of my f- friends a very long time ago um i think it was after i watched like my first gay film I texted them right away. I don't even know why I texted this person in particular. Mm -hmm. I do now. So it was, I think it was specifically a gay rom-com or something. Mm -hmm. 
and my my friend Jess um, isn't a big movie person, but like loves a good rom com. Who doesn't? And I was like, hey, I have a weird question for you. I posed it. I was like, do you feel as if you like the this particular type of film? Is because you can project yourself into the story and feel for the characters and like whatever happens. And she's like, yeah, that kind of probably sounds accurate mm-hmm. i'm like okay now i understand why i've never been like super thrilled with rom-coms because when i see them they're always straight people yes. and i never felt involved or just attached in any which way to the characters i also think and maybe i'm armchair therapizing you in a way but the reason you like all these campy horror films as well is because there is so much queer subtext and queer coding within them and like horror as a genre is always catered towards queer audiences more yeah i love Um, horror and most gays do and maybe that's why i don't maybe i mean i like it's i'm not the discount gay i hate when you know gay people refer to bisexual people as like I've being never heard that well yeah it's just like oh you're well, not that term the discount yeah Ew. the discount gay Ew. um but because you know well i didn't i and this sounds stupid too obviously when i was first coming out and learning stuff i didn't know about biphobia like i didn't know how because well, here's the thing like i didn't know how biphobia will never compare with homophobia like people don't get killed for being bisexual um people get killed for being gay um people might get their you know sexuality said like oh it's not real because they're bisexual but at the end of the day that's only going to do so many things to you like i will never be one of those people who are just like is like oh biphobia is like a big deal because honestly it's fucking not like in the community it's a it's a problem i suppose but like does it affect me every single day on the street absolutely not because i'm straight passing um but Essentially what I was saying is that um, I don't have to, like, search for films where I I feel represented Mm -hmm. as a straight-passing white woman-ish person. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the cue is very much in... It's doing a lot of heavy lifting these days, I'll say. I feel that. (laughs) Anyway. um, Whereas someone who is, you know, gay and cannot straight pass or you know at least with themselves um they'll have to seek out different types of film um to feel more represented um and that's that's uh i'm glad we're having that conversation yeah who is having that conversation we are (laughs) um but i mean that's all i really have to say i was gonna do justify this movie as a as a queer movie but I couldn't come up with a good one, so <laughs> I, I'm not going to do it's that. It's okay. We can save it for another time. You know what's a queer film? And it's because I like it. The Muppet Movie. Oh, Which sure. came out, how many, what, in 1979 on this day. On this day? On this day, I June 22nd. Story, baby. I saw that and I was like, wow, and I didn't. Fake fan. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's our show. Um, I think we might do one more in the studio next week. Yes. If we have time. Might be a short one. Might be a mini-sode. Um, but, yeah. That's, that's what, that's all I gotta say. It is what it is. I ain't got shit to say. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, everyone. Um, I had, I, yeah, happy pride. It's, it's coming to a close real soon. Next week Mm. it's gonna be July. 
could be my birth month, unfortunately. Boo. Boo. We got a July Leo in here. We do. Get him out. <laughs> okay, July Leos are better than August Leos. Yeah, you would say that as a July Leo. Yeah. That is kind of true. It is the They're a little bit more grounded. Yeah. We are. Um, anyways, I've been Craig. I've been Kay. And go, go watch, watch a, a goddamn, goddamn movie. movie. Bye, guys. Goodbye, everyone.